We're going to be in Judges tonight, chapter number 14, verse number 1, 2, and 3. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me to wife. And his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all thy people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings and for your help throughout the day, throughout the week. And God, we pray today that you would just guide our hearts, our thoughts tonight as we preach. I ask you that you would encourage us and strengthen us. Lord, but uh, knowing the the matter of the message tonight, I pray that you would, Lord, prepare us. God, I pray that you would chasten us if need be. Have your will tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, uh, we want to try to um, finish this uh, particular part, part number eight of Facing the Giants. We're dealing tonight with the giant of lust. And uh, we stopped just after point number one uh, last week. And we told you that that um, Samson was a man of promise. Just very quick recap, we told you that that God often delivers the people by a little baby. And uh, last Sunday morning we, we started that message, a strange way to save the world. And we know that that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. But I told you that when God delivered Egypt, He sent Moses... When God, del- or when God delivered Israel from Egypt, He sent Moses. When Israel needed revival, He sent Samuel. And now we find that Israel is needing a deliverer, and He has sent the judge, Samson. And we told you, and you have to remember this, in Numbers chapter 6, we'll re- reference back to it a little bit later, but in chapter 6 of Numbers, the first eight verses tells us about this Nazarite vow. And we've heard all of our life how that Samson is a... A Nazarite, not a Nazarene, that's a different thing. Uh, that's someone that is from Nazareth. Uh, and so this is, this is a different word. Uh, this is someone that has taken a vow of a Nazarite. And we gave you a series of mess, of, of questions rather, and we told you about this ordin- this inordinate desire, how that it becomes lust. Uh, this inordinate, it's explained as though it's something that consumes you. It's something that takes control of your thoughts. It takes control of your own uh, desires. And it becomes something that you desire so much that you would be willing to do without to have it. And that becomes lust. And so we told you that Samson was a man of promise in that he was a promise to his parents from God. Uh, He was a man of promise in that he uh, was brought up to deliver the people of Israel out of the hands of the Philistines, and Samson's life would be full of promise. Uh, we're, we're seeing just a small portion of this. We find him being born, and then we find him seeking a wife. Uh, we find him seeking a wife, and then we find him suddenly in the lap of Delilah. And there's only a few little tidbits of his life that we get from there. And then sadly, after being in the lap of Delilah, we find that just a few verses later, uh, we find him dying uh, uh, under his, his own hand, if you will, uh, but trying his best to do what he's been called to do. But then, secondly, we said that he was a man of power. And uh, this man of power, um, it is said in verse chapter 13, verse 24, I believe it is, that the Lord blessed him. And I mentioned last week that it's often that the Spirit of God moved upon those judges of his time, but it's only said about Samson that the Lord blessed him. And we we talked about those 
issues that he dealt with, we, uh, or those, I guess, accomplishments. Uh, he killed a lion barehanded. Uh, he slew 30 Philistines with no weapon. He caught 300 foxes and tied their tails uh, together and placed a torch in them. He broke attempts to bind him. He slew a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Uh, he broke and carried off the gates of the city of Gaza. Uh, he destroyed the amphitheater in his death. And then we gave you that quote from Samuel Ridout, and I'll not read the whole thing, but he says that God never allows the enemy to, to gain power over us unless it is a result of our own failure. And we, we left you with the thought that like many of us, we have a promise of God using us in our lives. Our testimonies can look back at God's uh, protection. Our testimonies can look back at God's deliverance and how that He's used us in different areas. But I believe that we have to now go into our second third point rather, and say that Samson was a man of pleasure. And in my notes, I've got that these are all testimonies of God's power, but, and then we segue into this third point. Every one of us can talk about those great works of power in our life. You go back to the day that you were saved, and we sing that song, The Greatest of All Miracles. And uh, that, I think we could all say that. They, they sing the song, Miracle in Me, and how that above all of the miracles that God ever did, there's a miracle in me that I cannot forget. And, and that ought to stir us up tonight because it is such a great miracle. It is such a great work of the power of God. Unfortunately, there is a but that's just at the end of every one of our testimonies. Now, I want to be careful here and say this, that I never want to get to that but... I want my testimony to stand true. I want my testimony to stand firm and be a beacon, if you will, of God's grace and His mercy and God's power and God's promise. I want, I want God to get the glory. Unfortunately, we have, we have verses that, that is like Galatians chapter number six, uh, over, let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, we see here that He talks about that one that is overtaken in a fault. He says, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one uh, in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And so that but is at the very end of our testimony, if you will. May not be saying that exactly right, but it's at the, it, there is a possibility there that we may fall. And uh, I don't want to get to that. And I don't want you to get to that. I don't want to have to go visit you in some facility somewhere and talk you off the ledge of giving up and quitting. I don't want to have to go to your family. I don't want to have to go uh, to our church and say, how that this person or that person uh, have fallen into addiction or they've fallen out of, out of, if I, uh, this is not, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They've fallen out of love with their wife or their husband. Uh, I don't want to have to go to that length and try to make excuses for some but in our lives, if you will. And so I say this tonight that, that Samson <laughs> was a man of pleasure. I told you here in verse number one, verse number two of, of, of chapter 14, uh, that he saw a woman. Look at this. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman. Now, this is this word saw. It means that I have seen. In other words, if we can narrow it down, he gazed upon or he studied her with intent. Some of y'all shaking your head, and that's good. You're, you're on the right track. He gazed upon and studied her. Samson is now being directed by, listen, the lust of his eyes. As he watched her, he wanted her. He saw what was forbidden... And he changed his, y'all gonna have to help me right here, he changed his convictions to accommodate his passions. I believe if we were to look in modern Christianity and modern churches today, 
we find that there are a lot of convictions that have been changed simply to accommodate passion. Now, I want to be very careful in this because there is a, there is a word that I don't want to use. I'll spell it. It is R-A-P-E. I don't, I don't want to use that word and I don't want this to be taken out of context. But I told you that he saw a woman, so he gazed upon and he studied her with intent. Now, I have to ask myself this question. Who was this woman? What was her, what was her own, uh, uh, intentions? But it brings me to 2021 and how, quote unquote, Christian young ladies are dressing. Now y'all don't, y'all don't, y'all don't get on your high horse yet. <clears throat> we can say statements concerning that word that I spelled, spelled. We can stay foolish statements like, well, she brought it on herself. That statement in and of itself is, it's irresponsible. It's ignorant. It's not something that any person in their right mind should ever say. Y'all with me? It is not, no female or male for that instance deserves that to be done to them. However, I believe that some of these sick individuals that do this act, they are enticed by what they see. Now, let, let's step away from that, that R word. And let, we've got a couple of young men in here. Let me just say this to the young men in here. You need to control your desires. Need to control what you see. What you're, who you're gazing upon with desire. I'll go one step further. And I'm just being real. We're, most of us are all adults. And I believe we're all on the same page, brother David. I'm going to tell you something. If you're looking upon a woman, y'all going to have to help me. If you're looking upon a woman who is dressed like she could freely give away what she has, you're looking in the wrong direction. I'm going to kind of just stand here and let that settle in for a minute. My wife is standing here this or sitting here this time. Last time I looked over there and talked about my wife, it was Rachel. Now my wife, she dresses, what is the word? Modest, but moderately as well. She don't have anything that would show too much in her closet. There's been things, Miss Denisha, that she would ask me, hey, what do you think about this? And I'm like, yeah, that looks fine. Well, what about this? The thing goes on right here. I'm like, You're going to wear it to sleep in. You know, it's okay. No, I don't... So she has, she has that mindset that she, she needs to be covered. And I'll say this, I thank God for that. If she began to wear dresses and shorts up to here, up to here, or up to here, I'd have some serious issues. You say, well, I can't find clothes to fit me. Put a piece of lace around it. Tie a band-aid onto it or something. Anything will help. Y'all hear me tonight? I'll be honest with you. I don't want to come into church. I'm grown. I got a wife and I got two daughters. But I don't want to come into church and be tempted to look at any of you ladies. And I, Samuel, I don't want that for you. And I don't want that for you. You say, well, I'm not married. I can look. You better watch your mouth. You're just newly married. If anybody, and all of us need to watch it, but if anybody needs to watch where they're looking, it's you as a newlywed. Because you're, you don't even know you're watching him look at other things, but you do. 
And you don't want that new marriage to be hindered or ripped apart. Neither do men that have been married as long as some of you and me. I've been married almost 20 years. And we need to be very careful in a church, if there's any place that that you should not be tempted. It should be in a church. And my own point, Brother Eric, So let's get back to our situation. This woman at Timnath makes me wonder. Makes me wonder maybe how she presented herself. Ladies, young ladies, how you present yourself will dictate how people see you. Now, I'm going to throw this out there, and I don't want to be Phil Kidd tonight, but if you dress like a floozy, that's the way people are going to see you. That's the way they're going to see you. On the other hand, you could look like you ought to be up in Pennsylvania or out in Montezuma and look like an Amish person. But I guarantee you, and, and again, I'm not trying to be off color, the only person that's really looking at that woman that's dressed head to toe is her husband. That's the way it ought to be. Well, we having a time tonight. He was a man of pleasure. Let me go on, let me go on record. I don't know who this old lady, old girl's, uh, old girl's daddy was. But daddies, you need to be a little bit more involved in what your kids are wearing. Well, my kids, they grown. It don't matter a hill of beans. You pull them aside. Hey, you're showing a little bit too much. You know, I, I told you last week, <clears throat> I think it was last week, <clears throat> that it, it might do good that the church teaches things like this because they're learning the exact opposite out yonder. It'd be a sad state of affairs if the pastor is the one having to, to draw young ladies aside and say, you ought not be wearing that because daddies ought to be doing it. Samson saw a woman He continually looked upon her and eventually he got what he wanted. Now, when you think about Samson, you think about Delilah. Delilah was number three as best I could tell. Number one was this woman from Timnath. Chapter 16, verse number one. Then Samson went to Gaza and saw there an harlot and went in unto her. Samson was a man of pleasure. He got what he wanted. He wanted his flesh to be satisfied. Remember, you remember the quote that I read just a moment ago? He, I don't even know where it was now. He wanted what was forbidden, but changed his convictions to accommodate his passions. He saw a harlot and went in under her. I wasn't going to say anything about this, and and I didn't look it up. Um, I'll just say this. What what got me thinking about it was, uh, in, in the message, A Strange Way to Save the World... Uh, there's a man named Judah in um, in Mary's genealogy. And Judah was not a great man. Uh, Judah, um, he saw a woman dressed as a harlot on the side of the road. And he went in unto her and come to find out it was his, I believe it was his daughter-in-law. And uh, we, we can go on and on with the story there. But it kind of it kind of makes me wonder. Here he is in chapter sixteen now, and he's went into her. She was a harlot. That's that was her job. Judah's daughter-in-law. She was playing a role. It got her into trouble, but it got Judah into trouble. Here in chapter sixteen, it got the the lady into trouble, but it got. Samson into trouble. And so me and I, I want to encourage you tonight, we kind of rough on the, on the women how they dress, but I want to encourage you, watch where your eyes are. 
You listen. You say, "Well, well, you, well uh, you, we just I just can't help it." Sometimes I call foul on that. Let, 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 let's time out right here and let's discuss this. You can control where your eyes are going. Say, so, "Well, if she walks in front of me, what am I supposed to do?" Well, don't track her. Instead, look at your look at your wife. How beautiful you are. Better watch where her eyes are going. He saw her in chapter 14. In chapter 16, again, it says that he, he saw there in Harlot. I, I give you this. According to a survey, 77% of Christian men and 60% of Christian women have admitted to struggling with lust. I'm talking about this giant of lust. 50% of men, 20% of women struggle with pornography. Sixty percent of men, forty percent of women, we're talking about Christians. Forty percent of women have had sexual sin in their life in the last year. We're not talking about thirty years ago. Twenty nine percent. This is heartbreak. Twenty nine percent of, uh, and this, the, the Barna Group did this study, and it was specific. Born again adults. It didn't say Christians. There's a difference between being born again and being a Christian. It says twenty nine percent of born again adults in the U.S. feel it is morally acceptable to view movies with explicit sexual behavior. This giant of lust, it comes about when you least expect it. Hebrews 11, verse number 32, it tells us that Samson was a man of faith. And I mentioned this last week. It says that he was a man of faith. But we can tell that most certainly he was not a faithful man. You may be a man of faith, a woman of faith, but I, I question, are you faithful? You may have faith in your life, but are you faithful to God? He wasn't faithful to the teaching of his parents. He wasn't faithful to his vows, to the Lord or to the people or to the laws of God. He was a man faithful to himself and to pleasing his own lusts. He was faithful to that which pleased himself. Number four, he was a man of presumption. Samson's fall began with these little presumptions. If you look at uh, chapter 14, verse number 5, it says, Samson went down in his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him. I told you his fall began with these little presumptions. Here's a judge. Here's a man that is taken this Nazarite vow. He's got strength in his body. Apparently, ladies love Samson. But he went in and walked among the vineyards. And I need you to listen. We'll go back to Numbers chapter 6. This is a dangerous place to be for a man who's not supposed to have anything to do with the vineyard. Let's look back at Numbers chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. This Nazarite vow. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is made of the vine tree from the kernels even to the husks. And here he is walking in a vineyard. Pretty presumptuous 
that he's strong enough in his own flesh that he can walk through without having any temptation. Now, every one of us is, deals with temptation of one sort or another. One may be worse than the other. One may be you know, seemingly silly. Well, I'm tempted to eat chocolate or I'm tempted to do this. It may seem silly to some. But let, let, let's just take that. If, if you've got diabetes, now I know this is being silly, but if you've got diabetes and one little Hershey kiss will throw you out of whack, why would you go to a chocolate factory? If you know you're an alcoholic, if you know just the, just the least little smell or look of, of wine or maybe alcohol or, or something, I don't even know how to classify those things. If you know that that's going to turn you on your head and you're going to fall, why would you go to a winery? Why would you go? I've, ne- I've never been to a winery. I've never seen a vineyard. But it seems as though every time on television I see a vineyard, there is a winery. And where there is a winery, there is wine tasting. Why would you put yourself in this predicament? He was a man of presumption. God sent Samson a warning among these vines. Verse 5 says he was walking in the vineyards. A lion roared against him. Verse 6, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hands, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman as she pleased Samson well. I got I got to get to something tonight. I'm trying my best. It is we need to remember that it is Satan that is like a roaring lion. What what does the Bible say about Satan as a roaring lion? He says that our what adversary. It is our it is our enemy. Our enemy is like a roaring lion. And God here in verse number 6 has sent a lion. He's in the middle of a place where he ought not be. And all of a sudden there's a lion that appears out of nowhere. And he's victorious over it. He's victorious over it. He won the battle. But I believe God's giving him a message. We need to look at James chapter number one. James chapter number one. Let's, let's do verse number. Where do I want to be? Let's do verse number twelve. Y'all still with me tonight? Amen. I'm, I'm gonna try my best to finish up here. So y'all, y'all hang on. Verse number twelve. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Verse number 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, I feel compelled to define this word tempted here. This is that solicitation to do evil. People say, well, Abraham was tempted. Abraham was tested. Abraham was tested. His faith was tried. He was not tempted to do sin. His faith was tested when he was told to take his only son Isaac up onto the mountain to sacrifice. He was not tempted. Don't anybody let lie to you. Verse number 14, though, is where we need to be. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. 
This word tempted here, it, it, it still means that solicitation to do evil. But it goes a little bit deeper and it is seduction of a harlot. He says every man is seduced as if by a harlot. When he is drawn away, this word drawn away, it is lured from a hiding place. I need you to, I need you to picture with me just for a moment. You're hiding from danger, you're in a cave, you're in a, you're in some sort of an encampment, you're safe, everything is well, and the enemy is just outside. And all of a sudden, with a sweet, tender voice, the enemy begins to shout and, or not shout, begins to speak and begins to tell you, hey, I'm not going to hurt you. Uh, we're just going to take you in and, and we're going to give you food and we'll give you water. You've been hiding. Uh, you've been hiding out. You're hungry. You're tired. You're cold. Maybe you're wet, but we can, we can take care of all of that. Oh yeah, you'll be in, you'll be a prisoner, but you're going to be fed. You're going to be clothed. You'll have a place to eat. They begin to speak with a uh, tender voice. And they draw you out of hiding. Listen to this. He has drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. This word enticed means baited or to be caught by bait. They're on the outside of your encampment. They're whispering. They're seducing you with what they're saying. Now, did you catch what I said just a minute ago? You'll be a prisoner, but we'll give you food, water, a place to sleep. They make it sound really good, Miss Barbara. And so they entice us. They, they, rather, they draw us out of our hiding. And it says that we are drawn away of our own lust. And enticed, we are then caught. Brother Jim, we are now outside of our hiding place. Our guard is dropped. We've dropped our weapons. We've dropped our shield. We've dropped our armor. And we're going to succumb to them. And we're going to be glad. We're going to be thinking about the warm bed. We're going to be thinking about the water. We're going to be thinking about the food. We're going to be thinking about all the things that they promised. But we forget that one little phrase, you will be our prisoner. And lust waltz to imprison you. Doesn't want to, doesn't want to make you happy. Scripture teaches us that the pleasures of sin are but for a season. The songwriter wrote, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll make you stay longer than you want to stay. It'll make you pay far more than you want to pay. You may think that that this little lapse of judgment may last only for a little while, honey, but it will haunt you the rest of your days and it will affect so many more than you ever thought possible. One little four-letter word, lust. Samson, he didn't mention this issue of the lion to his parents. So I wonder maybe if somebody here is keeping some secrets. They're keeping their secret lust. They're keeping their, their, their pleasure hidden from others. And I wonder if it's because you're walking down a forbidden path. You know, and y'all just follow this logic. You know you're not supposed to have anything to do with that wine or those grapes, or the vineyard, to go anyway. I wonder what field you're in. I wonder what forbidden place you are in tonight, and you're trying to keep these things away from everybody. And, and, and I, 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 this is common knowledge, but you ain't hiding nothing from God. You might hide it from me, or your wife, or your mama. Or your, you might hide it from somebody, but you're not going to hide it from God. Saved or lost, you're not going to hide it from God. Presumption is ex- uh, presumption is expecting the blessing and protection of God while continuing to violate His commands. 
You are presumptuous in that you expect to do your own desire, your own will, to please yourself and still be blessed of God. It's like praying, one writer said, it's like praying that God would keep us from walking into a wall while continuing to walk towards it. Samuel, Samson, excuse me, assumed that he could continue to enjoy the blessings of God while violating the principles that provide for the blessings. We may enjoy intimacy with our spouse, or we think we can enjoy intimacy with our spouse, while we continue to commit mental adultery with those around us. Now let that sink in for a minute. Husbands, wives, let it sink in. We think we can have power to proclaim the gospel and do the work of ministry while we continue to visit filth of the flesh. So, I don't even know where my phone is. So easily accessible on the internet. We were, we're presumptuous. We think we can raise godly children while we continue to play around in those same chat rooms, those same little, I, I don't know what the word is. almost said dark web, but I feel like I'm on NCIS or something when I say that. Those places, those forbidden places on the internet. It's hard, it's hard to raise a wholesome daughter while you're looking at somebody else's daughter. I'm going to write that in my Bible because that's pretty good. You hear that, Brother Jody? You got a 17 years old? 16. It's hard to raise a 16-year-old to dress right, to act right, to do right, to, 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 to look and pray to God for, for a good godly husband. And I'm not saying you're doing this. Don't misunderstand. But it's hard to do that while you're watching somebody else on the internet unclothed and doing ungodly things. Talking about this giant of lust. Preacher, do you like preaching about this? You, you lost your mind. No, I don't like preaching about stuff like this. But my God, it is rampant in America and it's so in churches. When is the point of no return? I need y'all to listen to this. When is the point, this lust, when is the point of no return? I'm going to tell you, it's simple. The point of no return is when you think you can handle it. When you say, oh, I can, I can, I can, I can look this time. I can turn it off anytime I want to. I can watch that video, but I don't have to watch the next one. I can look at this page, but I, I don't have to turn. I could go to this place. The point of no return is when you think you can handle it. Samson's presumption is seen repeatedly. He considered a Philistine for a spouse. He never should have done that. He walked in the vineyards. He took honey from a carcass that was slain. He was to touch no dead thing. He made a joke or a riddle about a Philistine out of his own sin. Joking about sin. He went into a harlot. He fell in love with Delilah. Delilah lived in the, the city of Sorek. It's a city in Philistine, whatever. Sorek means choice vines. He began to dwell. In, in verse number five, he was just walking through the vineyards. But by the time we get over to chapter 16, he's dwelling among the vineyards. Jeff Redland said this, One of Satan's most effective plans is to make himself appear utterly insignificant so that we think little of him or of the potential consequences of our actions. Consequences won't be bad. 
I'll go ahead and do it. I'll enjoy myself for a little while. That's Satan's desire. I'll end with this. He was a man of pain. Samson was a man of pain. Judges chapter 16, verse 20 and 21. The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. He awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. Now we see the one that was, that was promised to allow the release of captivity of God's people was himself made captive. Samson found that everywhere pleasure or lust of his flesh desired, or, or he, he found that whenever pleasure and lust was desired, it was given to him. But yet he never lived a life of satisfaction. If you give in to lust, I'm going to tell you something. And I don't talk about this much, but I'm going to tell you something. Before I was saved, I was saved when I was 12 years old, around 8 or 9 years old, I saw my first pornographic image. And it is it has been a battle. And in those eight year old to twelve year old, it's ungodly the amount of things that I had seen, Brother Jody. I want you to listen to this. He was never satisfied. You see one image, you'll want to see another one. You see one video, you'll want to see another. Are y'all with me tonight? You understand what I'm talking about? You know, again, I don't want to be silly, but the old potato chip commercial, you can't eat just one. That's the way sin will do. That's the way lust will do. And it will utterly destroy you. I've been saved for nearly 30 years. But brother David, there's times at night when I remember something that I did 30 years ago. And I say, God, are you sure you've forgiven me of that? Because of how dirty it was. How wicked I was. How dirty I was. And I'm, I'm glad that God wraps me. He said, oh yes, son. Oh, I remember that. I know it was dirty. I know it was wicked. But you say, well, I thought he, f- he forgot our sins. Y'all just let me have a minute. I know what you're talking about, but I've forgiven you. So when I say you'll want to see another one, I'm not just, it's not just preacher talk. Well, Kenny, I've been there. Samson's life ended tragically. I need to read James chapter 4, verse 2. He says, Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not. He says, because ye ask not. Brother Eric, you and I were talking, and I'm not going to name any names. You and I were talking this morning, and you were talking about the young man. He said he, he's admitted he's searching for something. He needs something. And y'all have heard me say there's a God-shaped hole in people's hearts. You'll try your best to put every ungodly thing in that in that hole to try your best to fill it up and feel whole and feel complete. But outside of God, there is nothing that's going to satisfy it. But can I tell you something? Even as a, even as a child of God, sometimes, I, I say this, sometimes we're, we're leaky vessels. We're leaky vessels, brother Jim, and sometimes we just, we just feel empty. But Abby, instead of trying to fill it up with this and that and more busyness here and busyness there, 
Let's ask God. Let God fill it up with Himself. Samson's life ended tragically. Sorry, I had to go back. Could Samson have escaped this this lust? I believe he could. I believe he could. He took a vow. I believe he could have listened to his mom and daddy in verse number 1, in verse number 2, in verse number 3 of chapter 14. When they said, can't you find a woman that, that's part of our people? Can't you find a woman that's not a part of our enemy? I believe he'd have listened to mom and daddy. We wouldn't have to preach this message about Samson. We might have had to preach it about somebody else, but if he'd listened to mom and daddy, if he'd listened to the preacher, my God, if he'd listened to God himself, we wouldn't have had to deal with this. But we find that he didn't. So now I ask you, can you escape this giant of lust? The news is, the answer is, if you know what it means to be born from above, to be saved, to be a part of the family of God, then you know you can escape the power of lust. Second Peter chapter 1 verse number 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. How can you escape this giant of temptation? Well, you're a child of God. Go to Him. Go to God. Turn, turn the channel. Close the phone. Get on your knees. Go to Him. Open this book. And I don't want to be cliched, but instead of opening Facebook, let's open God's book. Instead of opening Instagram, let's open God's book. Instead of Snapchat and everything else, let's let's open God's book. See what He says. There's, There's more I could say tonight. I'm just going to close. Maybe if we can get a song of invitation, it might be good tonight. Don't even really have to sing. We just play. I ask you tonight, and I, and I don't want you, you. I don't want you to think if you come to the altar, you're admitting that you have a problem with lust. That's not. It's not my intention in this at all tonight. But you coming to the altar tonight may may prove, not to me, not to anybody else, but it may prove tonight to God that you're willing publicly to say, I need help. Or, or to say publicly, I've not dealt with this giant of lust yet. God, give me strength when I do. If you don't come to the altar tonight, then I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you, one, to pray where you are that God would help you, whether you struggle or not, that God help you with this giant of lust. But the second thing is, is if someone does come to this altar, pray for them. Don't make assumptions, but pray for them that God would help them. Dear God, you know our hearts tonight. God, God, you know that there is such a need. Or the only one that I know of is American churches. You know there's such a need of American churches. Lord, it seems like this world is vying for our attention. And as such, it seems like the preachers have to vie for the people's attention. God, and if the preachers are vying for their attention, then the Holy Ghost is as well. And you are having to fight 
to hold the attention of your own people. God, tonight I ask you if you will, God, just to grab us by our heartstrings tonight. Just touch us. God, I wish that we could say about Samson that he was a great man and he was a great husband and he was a great this, that, and the other. Lord, but this one little flaw of his character, Lord, makes us question so many things about him. And tonight, this one little thing has become a giant in our nation. It's become a giant in our churches. For many, it's become a giant in our hearts. So, Father, I ask you this evening that you allow respite from this giant. Lord, give us relief. I pray that you'd raise up men that are godly and that are living righteously and holy. Lord, raise up young women and old women, Lord, to stand firm in the way and be women of faith. Be women of virtue. And I pray that you would guard us against this giant of lust. God, as it may creep into our lives, we pray today that you would allow us, Lord, to Lord, have the victory over that thing. God, help your people tonight. We love you, God. We praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand tonight. Thank you so much for being here this evening. I realize this is not one of those messages that you'll probably write home about. But I hope you'll never have to. I hope you can hide this message in your heart and never have to talk about it. But if the need ever arises that someone that you know, that you love is dealing with lust, I hope that God spoke to you somehow in the message last week in this that you can help them. But but if the need ever comes in your own life, I want you to remember this message. And, and I want you to go over to Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. Before you ever judge anybody else dealing with lust or sin, I want you to read that verse. And if you find yourself... Dealing with lust and temptation, sin. I want you too to go over to Galatians chapter number 6. And I want you to find some righteous people that can help restore you back to God.